Today we have the privilege of studying Divrei Yamim chapter 29, Parakaf Chet. This is the first of four chapters about King Chizkiyahu. Chizkiyahu is the pinnacle of Divrei Yamim. He is the most important king of Divrei Yamim. He is the climax of the Sefer, and he is the book king to whom the whole book has been leading up. After the four chapters about Chizkiyahu, the rest of the book is really a sort of conclusion of events, but it is Chizkiyahu who is the ideal monarch in the view and evaluation of Divrei Hayamim. We know of Chizkiyahu from Sefer Melachim primarily for two reasons. One, he led a religious reform centralizing worship of God in Yerushalayim and eliminating worship in the Bamot. And two, his courageous stance against the Assyrians in the siege of Jerusalem. An event which is narrated both in Sefer Melachim Prakim Yudchet, Sefer Melachim Bet Prakim Yudchet in Yutet, chapters 18-19 of Second Kings, as well as in Isaiah 36-37 Yeshayahu Prakim Lamed Vav Lamed Zayin. But here in Chronicles we have a very different portrayal of Chizkiyahu. Rather than portraying him primarily as someone who stands up against the Assyrians, we portray him here as someone who systematically in an organized and professional, almost professional way, leads a religious reform in Yehuda, influencing the people of Yehuda to return to God. This is not done in one fell swoop. It is a gradual, intelligent, designed, and systematic process. The first chapter, that which, with which we will deal with today, Parker Parat Kaftet, chapter 29, deals with the first stage of the religious reform. This first stage focuses on the Mikdash, focuses on the sanctuary itself, and on the priests who serve in the sanctuary. Later, the religious reform will expand in concentric circles to include the kingdom, uh, the city of Jerusalem, including the lay people in Jerusalem, then the whole kingdom, and then finally it will expand to have a universal implication. But it begins here with the reform focusing on the Mikdash and focusing on the Kohanim. And that systematic working outwards in concentric circles shows how intelligently planned Chizkiyahu's reform was and why Sefer Divrei Amim seeks to make him the pinnacle of its presentation. The narrative in Perak Kaftet takes as its point of departure the narrative of Perak Kafchet. It, as we've seen in many of the stories in Divrei Amim, a son corrects for the sins of a father. And that is, in fact, the motif in Divrei Amim, that The children can atone for their father's sins. The returnees to Eretz Israel can atone for the sins of their ancestors. Here in Perak Kaftet, we have a narrative about Chizkiyahu, um, which corrects many of the actions that Ahaz's father did. Ahaz is said to have, uh, we're told the end of Perak Kaftet, we're told he closed the gates of the house of God furthermore he emptied the house of God of many of its um, implements and also transferred worship of God or transferred worship from the temple to worship in various cultic sites outside Jerusalem Chizkiyahu is the one who reverses both of those trends Perak Kaftet 
פסוק ג' הוא, בשנה הראשונה למולכו, in the very first year of his reign, בחודש הראשון פתח את דלתות בית השם ויחזקם. In the very first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the gates of the house of God and strengthened them. The opening of the doors of the house of God here is a response to Ahaz closing those, the, the doors of the house of God. So Chizkiyahu opens that which Ahaz has closed. Furthermore, Pasuk Dalet, he gathered the Kohanim and the Levi'im to the square on the east side. There's some square located east on the east side of the city. He said to them, Listen, O Levites, now sanctify yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and remove the, remove the impurity from the temple. For, they have, for our fathers have trespassed and have done which is that which is evil in the eyes of God, our, the Lord our God. They have abandoned him and turned their faces away from the temple of God and given it their back. They have also closed the gates of the sanctuary and put out the candles. They have not offered incense, nor have they offered any offerings in the temple to the God of Israel. All of these are directly referencing the actions of Ahaz, but they have a certain implication and resonance in the time of Bayit Sheni, when for a long period, at the beginning of the period of Bayit Sheni, the Jews returned to the land, but the temple had not been built, as we see in Ezra and Nehemiah. And so here there is also a statement to the Jews of Bayit Sheni, although our ancestors lived many years in Israel, in the land of Israel, without building the temple, this has negative implications, and we, their sons, can correct what they did. In other words, if they closed the temple and ignored the temple and gave it their backs, we can fix it by paying attention to the temple. Pasuk Chet, what is the implication of this? Anger from God was upon Jude and Jerusalem. He gave the, uh, them, in other words, he gave us, to be a, an embarrassment, uh, a, an astonishment, and a whistling, as you see in your own eyes. The idea that the world sort of laughs at Jude and Jerusalem because of its desolation. Now that clearly is referencing the status of the Jews in the time of the beginning of Bayit Sheni, when, they, when the political situation of Judah is in terrible straits, and that is being credited here to the non-building of the temple. Furthermore, Pasuk Tet, V'hinei nafilu avoteinu becharev, uvanenu v'nateinu v'nashenu b'shevi azot. Behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, our sons, our daughters, and our wives are in captivity because of this. And this refers back to the actions we've seen in the Achaz story about the taking captive of Judahites by the people of Israel, but it also refers to the status of the Jews in the time of Bayit Sheni on a second level. Pasuk Yud, Atayim Levavi Lichrot Berit, 
Lashem Elokei Yisrael, v'yashov mimenu charon apo. Now, it is in my heart, in other words, it is my intention to establish a covenant for God, for the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his anger will return from us. Pasuk Yud Aleph, Banai ata al tishalu, mivachem bachar Hashem l'amod l'fanav l'sharato, v'liyot lol m'sharatim u'maktirim. My sons, do not be lax. Kivachem bachar Hashem l'amod l'fanav l'sharato, v'liyot lol m'sharatim u'maktirim. Before it is in, before it is you whom God has chosen to stand before Him to serve Him and to be His servants and His incense offerers. In other words, this is an, an invocation to the Levites and the, Kohan, and the and the priests. Do your work diligently. A group of Levites and priests obey the king's invocation, and in pasuk tedvav we're told that these this group of Levites and priests. They gathered their brothers, they sanctified themselves, and they came in following the command of the king in matters related to God to, to, to purify the house of God. And we have here a sort of a, a prefiguring or a foreshadowing of the Hanukkah story, where the priests come in to temp- purify the temple. And of course, the Hanukkah story, in many ways, is based on this narrative, the purification of the temple in the month of Nisan by Chizkiyahu. The priests do as they're told, Pasuk Tetzayin, Vayavo hakoanim lifnim abet Hashem letaher, Vayotziu et kol hatuma asher matzu behechal Hashem lachatzar bet Hashem, Vayikabelu halviim lehotzi lenachal kidron chutza. The priests come into the innermost parts of the house of, of the Lord to, to purify. They remove all impurities that they find in the house of the Lord to the courtyard of the house of the Lord. The Levites receive and remove these things to the valley of Kidron on the outside. In other words, all the uh, impurities are tossed out to the valley of Kidron, and that was also the case in the purification of Asa. But here the imagery is much stronger, and it's specifically the priests who are going into the temple and purifying it. And that language really is Hanukkah language. Pasuk 17. Vayachelu be'echad l'chodesh harishon l'kadesh uv'yom shmona l'chodesh ba'u le'ulam Hashem vayikadushu et b'et Hashem l'yamim shmona uv'yom shisha asar l'chodesh kilu. They began on the very first day of the first month, in other words, exactly on the day Chizkiyahu began his reform. They began on the first day of the first month to sanctify. And on the eighth day of the month, they came to the um, sanctuary of God. They sanctified the temple for eight days. They finished on the 16th day of the first month. In other words, they finished on the first day of Chag HaMatzot. The purification extended through the Pesach, which is the uh, 14th, they continue on the 15th, which is actually the first day of Chag HaMatzot. The 16th, the second day of Chag HaMatzot, that is the day that they complete, significantly the day of the offering of the Omer. What do they do? Verse 18, They come inside into Chizkiyahu's, uh, presumably into Chizkiyahu's chambers in his palace. Vayomru tiharnu et kobet Hashem, they say we have purified the house of the Lord as well as the, te- the, off- the altar of offering and all its implements. The 
table of the of the arranging of the bread and all its implements. Pasuk Yutet 19. And all the implements which King Ahaz abandoned during the rule, years of his rule in his trespassing, we have prepared and sanctified, and they are all before the altar of the Lord. And here we have the first concentric circle complete, and now Chizkiyahu begins the second concentric circle. Pasuk 20. Vayashkem Chizkiyahu HaMelech Vayasof Et Sarei Ha'ir Vayal Beit Hashem. King Chizkiyahu woke early. It's significant. It's evoking the Avraham imagery. It's evoking other type of imagery in Breshit. But the idea of waking up early, he gathered the officers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And here the reform is being expanded from the Kohanim to the lay officers of the city. Pasuk 21, Vayaviu farim shiva ve'elim shiva uchvasim shiva utzfirei izim shiva lechatat ala mamlacha ve'ala mekdash ve'al Yehuda ve'yomer libnei Haron ha'koanim lahalot al-mizbach Hashem. They brought seven cows, seven rams, seven sheep, seven goats as a sin offering for the kingdom, for the temple, for Judah, and he said to the people, the sons of Aaron, the priests, to offer these on the altar of God. So first of all, it's the king who's providing, but it's the priests who are offering, unlike Uzziahu. And perhaps more importantly, the very first offering that's offered is a sin offering, to remove sin. The chatat is, we call it a sin offering, it's really a purification offering. Its intent is to remove the, um, the sort of um, impurity or... Uh, sullying of the individual or of the temple that is caused by the sins of the community. And so it's removing that. It, the chatat removes sins. The chatat is an expiation offering. It serves to remove and purify the sanctuary and the individual from the sins of which the community has committed. And so the very first act is, the, is that act of removing sin or removing the uh, sullying that's caused by the sin. There's a detailed description of how the priests offer the various sacrifices. Um, the key point is in Pasuk 23, They offered the goats of, purif- of the chatat, the sin offering or the purification offering, before the king and the community, and they place their hands upon them. In other words, the laying of the hands is done by the king and the community, who show that this is a, an offering that's being offered for the king and the community by the priests. And that idea of extending it from the priests to the part, include the participation of the king and the community is indicated in Chizkiyahu's formulation in uh, in Pasuk 21, that the offering is for the Mamlacha, the Mikdash, and Yehuda. It's for the kingship, the, the temple, and Yehuda. It's both temp- the lay and the sacral, the temple and the the kingdom. All of these are being purified by the offerings that Chizkiyahu is providing. Then in Pasuk 24, we get to the next stage. The Kohanim slaughtered the offerings. They purified the altar with their blood, 
in order to expiate for all of Israel. Again, the idea of expiating both the removing um, sin, from, removing sin from the altar, removing impurity from the altar, and removing sin from Israel. Why? Because for all of Israel, said the king, is the offering and the sin offering. So the olah, the whole burnt offering, is being provided here, as well as the sin offering, the chatat. The olah serves a different function than the chatat. The olah is a gift which is entirely given to God. It's an offering which is entirely burnt on the altar. It serves not to purify, but we have a tradition that the olah serves to um, atone for sins of omission. If an individual neglects a mitzvah aseh, he brings an olah. The olah is a sort of gift that an individual brings to atone for, not for a sin of commission, but for a sin of omission, for neglect. And so the chat, having removed the sin by means of the chatat, now an olah is offered. Now a gift offering is offered. First the purification, and then the gift. The next stage, having established the having established the offerings as an atonement for the community, Pasuk 25, He established Levites in the house of God with symbols, with lyres, and with uh, stringed instruments, according to the command of David and God, the seer of the king and Nathan the prophet for by the hat, by the command of God um, by means of his prophets. In other words, here the um, establishment of the Levim is associated with David, but not only with David, also with the prophets who lived in the time of David. It is a prophetic command and not just a royal institution. That's an interesting new formulation here, the idea that the institution of the Levim and the singing of the Levim is a prophetic command. And of course, it is connected to the idea of gratitude. As we've mentioned before, the, the Levitical singing indicates the gratitude of the community for that which God has provided by means of allowing the kingship of the house of David to continue. Pasuk 26, The Levites stood with the instruments of David as well as the priests in their trumpets. Um, Pasuk 27, uh, commanded to offer the whole burnt offering on the altar. Continuing Pasuk 27, At the moment when the burnt offering was offered, then began the sing the song of God as well as the trumpets by means of the implements of David, the king of Israel. So the singing is connected to the offering of the um, sacrifices. Pasuk 28, the drama of the event, All the community bowed while the song was being sung, the trumpets were trumpeting, all by the time the burnt offering had been completed. So in other words, the burnt offering was offered with a great deal of pomp and circumstance. Pasuk 29, When they finished offering, the king kneeled down as well as all who were with him, and they bowed down. Pasuk 30, 
ויאמר חזקיהו המלך והשרים ללוויים להלל להשם בדברי דוד ואסף החוזה. חזקיהו the king as well as the prophets as, excuse me, Hizkiyahu, the king as well as the officers said to the Levites that the Levites should sing praises to God according to the the words of David and Asaph, the, pre, the prophet. They gave praise until they were rejoicing. They bowed down, they prostrated themselves. And then the next stage is having brought the Ola. First we had the Chatat, then we have the Ola, and now we have the Thanksgiving offering. Pasuk 31, Chizkiyahu said, Now you have um, consecrated yourselves to God. Come near and bring zivachim, sacrifices which are shared between the priest, the altar, and the individual bringer. So if the individual bringer gets to bring them, it's a sort of uh, zevach is a shared offering. It's an offering where the individual sort of shares with God in recognition of his rejoicing. Vitodot, and thanksgiving offerings. Levet Hashem to the house of God. The community brought offerings and thanksgiving offerings, and all of those who were generous brought burnt offerings. In other words, Communities was community as a whole was expected to bring thanksgiving offerings and reg, and shared offerings. Those who were a little bit more generous brought burnt offerings, which weren't in which they had no part, which were entirely burnt. And the extent of the offerings is considered here very great. There's a large number of offerings being uh, being brought, um, and then in pasuk. Um, 34, we have a very unusual institution. The first of Chizkiyahu is taking liberties with the uh, temple service. The Kohanim were too few and they couldn't strip the um, burnt offerings, couldn't strip the skins off the burnt offerings, and so their brothers, the Levites, assisted them until the work had been completed, and until the priests should sanctify themselves, for the Levites were straighter of heart to sanctify themselves more so than the priests. So the Levites had uh, been more assiduous in sanctifying themselves, and they got to do the act- action of Hefshet v'nituach, of removing the, or at least of Hefshet, of removing the skins from the from the burnt offerings, um, whereas this is, seems to be usually something that's designated for the priests for the Kohanim. Concluding pasuk pasuk lamet vav, vayismachi chizkiyahu v'chol ha'am al ha'hechin ha'elokim la'am ki b'fitom hayah ha'davar chizkiyahu and all the people rejoiced on that which God had established for the people. For this all happened suddenly. And we see here now that the concentric circle, which began with the priests at the beginning of the chapter, is now expanded to the officers of the city, from the officers of the city to the community at large. And the community at large here is offering. As a result of so many people offering, the priests can't cope, and the Levites have to assist them. The concentric circle is indeed being widened, and Chizkiyahu is engaging more and more people in this process of reform.